Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Stories of the New Testament, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 157 examines Matthew chapter 20, part 1, The Labors in the Vineyard. Scholars don't appear to agree on the precise number of parables in the New Testament, but even a cursory reading reveals that the kingdom of heaven is a prominent theme of the parables. The kingdom of heaven was a dominant theme of the Savior. Again, the stage is set in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I include the Beatitude, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, among the Beatitudes relating to the kingdom of heaven, because of the writings of John the Revelator, as recorded in Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I include blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, because those whose sins are forgiven inherit the kingdom of God. I include, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, because only in the kingdom of heaven can they see God. I include, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, because children of God is the title of those who inherit the kingdom of heaven. In John chapter 1, John informs us, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. In Matthew 20, we are given the parable of the laborers in the vineyard, which also deals with the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man 
that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. Notice he begins the parable with, For the kingdom of heaven is like. A parable may be literal or figurative. When like or as are used figuratively, we call it a simile. When it is used literally, we call it an analogy. An analogy describes two things that are unlike but have similar characteristics. An analogy can be brief or extended, comparing similarities point by point. Parables, analogies, and similes are common elements in the teachings of the Savior. The power of parables is that they make the abstract concrete, the invisible visible, the unknown known. We often ask, what is it like? We are really asking, how is it comparable to the world we know? The Savior compares the kingdom of heaven to the everyday world of the people. Parables are ageless because the images are not blurred by time or culture. We all understand, for example, what it means to be a laborer in the vineyard. The parables subtly teach us a very important principle, and it is this. We need to take the Bible literally. Every word counts. Even the figurative images have a realistic connection. The Savior is trying to get us to see the kingdom of God as he sees it. Christ, though a God in heaven, came to earth under the same restraints we have. He, too, had a veil drawn over his mind. He did not remember his exalted position in heaven. However, he was clearly a prodigy. We meet the sacred son once as a child. He remained behind, astonishing the learned, causing Mary enormous pain. When she finds him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions, she chastises him. His answer astonishes her. In chapter 2, Luke records, And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. We do not know when the veil was entirely lifted from Christ's mind, though logically it occurred following his baptism. We learn from the above that Christ did not come to the earth with a full knowledge of his mission, but that he increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. He did learn early that he must be about his father's business. The perfection of Christ rests upon that one principle. He always did exactly what the father desired him to do. That is how he remained sinless. However, it was probably during his experience in the wilderness where he went to commune with God that he absolutely understood the entirety of his mission. Christ did not go to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He went to the wilderness to pray to God. Satan went to the wilderness to tempt Christ. Satan knew who Christ was, for there was no veil over his mind, and he tempted Christ when he was at his weakest, after fasting forty days. That was the greatest epic battle ever fought, and fortunately for mankind, the Savior won. And Satan suffered his greatest defeat, even greater than the time he lost the war in heaven. 
and the time he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, bringing about the fall of man. Had the Savior sinned, all the world would have been lost. We very well know, because of the evil in the world, that Satan has great power and a great hold on many. However, although we did come to earth with a veil over our minds, causing us to forget our pre-mortal existence, we did not come mindless. Our personalities do not begin on earth. Those who think we came with a blank slate do not understand the mind and mercy of God. Everyone born on this earth, regardless of religion or nationality or culture, have the Spirit of Christ with them. The Spirit of Christ is greater than we can imagine. It is the power that runs the universe. It is the power that teaches right and wrong. Christ is God. He has always been God, and he will always be God. Also in John chapter 1, John informs us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John is talking about the light of Christ when he said, And the life was the light of men. John added, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Christ did not send us here like a book with empty pages to be etched by determinism or natural selection. We came here with the power to discern good from evil. Though little children cannot sin because their powers of discernment have not matured, everyone as they mature will develop a conscience. Christ wants us to understand that the kingdom of heaven, because of his atonement, is available to anyone who will accept him as their savior. Seven times at my count, the scriptures emphasize that God is no respecter of persons. The vineyard is the world. The laborers are those who strive to keep the two great commandments called by James the royal law, to love the Lord with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Beatitudes describe those who inherit the kingdom of heaven, the poor in spirit, meaning those who are not haughty and puffed up, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the valiant. The Savior teaches us another great principle. He goes against the economics of man and deals instead with the economy in heaven. The world has an unbalanced system of rewards. For example, a rock star may make millions of dollars, whereas a nurse may barely meet the mortgage. Does anyone really think that the contribution of a rock star is greater than the contribution of those who heal the sick in the kingdom of heaven? God measures things differently. He gives the heavenly rewards to the merciful and pure in heart. He doesn't care about earthly wealth or worldly things. Let's examine the parable more closely. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Obviously, there is total agreement between the householder and the laborers. One penny a day. In Christ's day, a penny was about 16 cents. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Clearly, those who were hired first had to work all day for the penny, beginning at 6 a.m. That is where the parable becomes sticky for some. For the householder goes out again this time at the third hour or 9 a.m. and hires more laborers. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. 
No specific amount is specified, but on a handshake, the householder promises the laborers, whatsoever is right, I will give you. Everyone agrees. Three hours later, at noon, the householder goes out to hire more laborers, and at three o'clock does the same thing. And again he went out about the sixth hour and ninth hour, and did likewise. He makes the same agreement with those who began to work at noon and those who began to work at 3 p.m. But the work is not completed, so he goes out again after two hours at 5 p.m. These laborers had been standing around all day, and no one had hired them, so he hires them. The householder says the same to them, Whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Again, no amount is mentioned. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and said unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. An hour later, when the end of the day arrived, the lord of the vineyard told his steward to call all the laborers in to be paid. He did an astonishing thing. He gave them all the same wage. So when even was come, the lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. Suddenly, those who were hired first understandably began to complain. When they were hired at 6 a.m., they all agreed to accept a penny for their wage, for it was the going rate. One can speculate that they felt a little pride that they were the first to be hired, leaving the others in uncertainty. The longer those who were not hired waited, the greater the uncertainty, for they also had families to feed. It was only by comparison to the other laborers that those who worked all day felt cheated. After all, they worked all day in the sun, giving no thought to those who stood all day in the sun waiting to be hired, nor considering their anxiety over going home without another day of wages. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. They likewise received every man a penny, and when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. Although their argument appears sound, after all, they did bear the heat of the day. The Lord of the vineyard, who saw the entire picture, the sweat of those who labored all day, and the anxiety of those who had no work, but equal responsibilities to their own families. The Lord of the vineyard had the better argument. He chastises those who complained. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst not thou agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? How is it that they had evil eyes? If we again consider the Sermon on the Mount describing those who inherit the kingdom of heaven, we understand. They must be humble, meek, merciful, and pure in heart. They were none of those things. They had learned nothing from their labors. They wanted to lift themselves up and pull others down. That is not the Lord's way because he wants everyone to labor in his vineyard according to their circumstances. 
the Lord of the vineyard, who symbolizes Christ, makes the greatest condemnation of all. So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. We are reminded of the highest virtue man can achieve, which is charity. Paul gives us the following definition of charity. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. It is clear that the purpose of Christ is to gather Zion, or the pure in heart. He wants to save all of the children of his Father in heaven. Remember what he said to Mary at the tomb, as recorded in John 20? Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God. Money in our world, of course, is necessary. But money is not essential to our salvation. We are not measured by our wealth. We are measured by the virtues we acquire, and are judged for our work. The works of those who began at the third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour were as important as those whose work began at the first hour. You can see the irony. We preach repentance, but deny mercy to those who repent because they didn't repent earlier. That is only for God to judge. I suppose there are many ways to look at the parable of the laborers, but one thing is that it is a parable of hope for all of us that repentance is always available. Whether we are called at the first hour, third hour, sixth hour, ninth hour, or even the eleventh hour, God will give us whatsoever is right by His standards and not by our standards. He judges not as man judges, but as He judges, and His ways are just. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.